0: Um, how many of you guys have a lazy chair at home? Oh yeah, get your man. Some of y'all got a, one of those man cave deals and got it going on with the big screen TV and the chair and everything. And um, I, you know, when I was in college, I had a puke green lazy chair. Um, I inherited it from my great aunt, and um, and, and so uh, what's so funny about it is is that my roommate in college, his his green was even uglier. And um, but yet every Saturday. We were kicked back, chillax, relaxed, and uh, watching ESPN football. And um, all day, that lazy chair was, was a great time to kind of just uh, to check out for my studies at college. And, and, and so we were so lazy that my roommate developed a redneck remote control. Do y'all know what that is? Redneck remote control. We didn't have a TV with a remote control. We had one you had to push the buttons. And so my roommate, <laughs> he got a broomstick and a board and duct tape them together. And he would literally change the buttons <laughs> from his lazy chair. And um, so literally, when I got up, I had to literally step over his remote control to go to the kitchen and get something to eat or drink. And um, and so uh, lazy chairs are kind of are useful to help you check check out from reality for a while. You know, it can even deter you from your honeydew list that's been getting larger. Um, and, and so I want one of them big old big old double wise Y'all ever seen those? I've been furniture shopping a little bit and, and I want one of them double wise And so, you know, I can maybe sit and, and you know have a kid on, on each side of me and whether watch the T V or whatnot. But my wife says there's a reason I haven't got one of those yet, you know, so we'll see if we'll get one. Well, this morning we're gonna be dealing with the 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 subject or the issue of of spiritual complacency you know and there are times to be all right it's all right to be comfortable right I mean we can be all comfortable in our salvation right we have Romans 5 1 says that therefore we've been justified by faith we have peace with God and there's nothing wrong to find comfort in your peace that you have with God, right? There's, no, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with finding comfort. Maybe there's a time in, in your life where you've had a, had a crisis or uh, maybe lost a loved one or, or something to that nature and you found comfort in friends and family and then maybe in your church family. And, and that's great. That's awesome. That's what we're supposed to be about is to find comfort in those things. But it's finding comfort in the wrong things is what we're going to be dealing with this morning. We're going to be talking about dealing with finding comfort to the point where we become complacent in our faith. And we start relying on our own abilities and our own wealth and, our, and, and, and our, what we do instead of becoming dependent upon God. And, and, and so, if you would, turn in your Bibles with me to Amos 6. And while you're doing so, I just want to kind of give you just a brief background on Amos. I'm not a historian. I love history. Um, but, uh, I'm, I'm going to just do a brief because I won't do it justice. But Amos, what's cool thing about Amos is Amos was just a normal, regular guy, just like me and you. He didn't, he wasn't a kid and he said, you know what, when I grow up, I'm going to be a prophet. He was just a normal guy. He was a herdsman actually by trade. And also, also the Bible says that he was a, a snipper, a trimmer. Some of you people that have rose gardens would like this, of sycamore trees, And so not only he was a herdsman, but he was an agriculturalist, and that was his day-to-day deal. And yet, Amos had a burden for the complacency of Judah and Israel, and and he started to to pray for that burden, and God called him to be a prophet. He was actually from the southern kingdom of Judah, but also he became a prophet for the northern kingdom. And so that's a little brief background on Amos, and it kind of gives the context of where we're coming from in Amos 6. So if you would start reading in verse one with me, it says, Woe to you who are complacent in Zion, and to you who feel secure on Mount Samaria, you notable men of the foremost nation, to whom the people of Israel come, to Kalnae, go look at it. Go there to Great Hamath, and then go to Goth and Philistia. Are they better off than your two kingdoms? Basically he's he's addressing the both southern kingdom, Judah and Israel right here at this point. In this passage, verse 3, it says, You put off the evil day, and you bring near a reign of terror. You lie on beds and lay with ivory and lounge on your couches. You dine on choice lambs and fatic calves. You strum away on your harps. He like me. He likes to strum. You strum away on your harps like David and improvise on musical instruments. You drink wine by the bowlful, and you use the finest lotions. Basically, at this point, life is good. Then he says, But you do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, you will be among the first to go into exile. Your feasting and lounging will end. I think the first thing that we can take away from reading this passage is that spiritual complacency is sin. When we depend on any other thing than God... And then it is sin. It's called adultery. So when we when we get involved in spiritual complacency, we're involved in putting other things in front of God. And, and it's called, basically, it's called sin. And so God was rebuking Israel for their complacency here. Look in verse 1 again. It says, Woe to you who are complacent in Zion. When, when he says woe, W-O-E, then, then there's a good chance that we are a good Reason maybe we need a W H O A. Whoa! Stop and listen to what he has to say here. Warren Wiersbe says that complacency is a dangerous sin because it is based on lies, motivated by pride, that leads to trusting something other than God. And we gotta we gotta find out what they were putting their trust in. I think the first thing they were putting their trust in, while they became complacent, is their geography. In verse 1 again, it says, Woe to you, complacent Zion, who feel secure on Mount Samaria. Where they were located geographically, there was mountains um, around them, and so it was a natural barrier that made it hard for outside evasions. And because of that, they just kind of felt secure in that. A good example of that would be Pearl Harbor in December 7, 1941. When when the Japanese made an attack on Pearl Harbor, they were not expecting it. Why? Is because there was this false sense of security that is developed because being in America. I mean, there's this huge pond on the on the eastern coast, and then there's a even a larger pond on the western coast, right? And because of that, America was just thought they were immune to outside invasions. And so, Pearl Harbor, when 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 Japanese attacked, they were just caught complacent. They were caught. Um, unexpected, and, and, and even after that, they even said that history says that, that there was people in, in, um, on the western coast that were standing on their rooftops day and night looking in binoculars out into the ocean because they lost that complacency there after they were attacked. And so Judah, and both Israel and Judah, found complacent in their in their g- geography. Let me ask you this. How many of us in our complacency Asked, that never can happen to me. Well, that never can happen to our family. We go to church every Sunday, go to Sunday school, and we pay taxes. You know, we get complacent, and, and I'm just using this metaphorically, but we get placed in our lives and, and think that that can never happen to us. And that's where Israel and Judah was at this time. We cannot be evaded. We got these mountains and we, you know, that, that deter the people from coming in. Verse 2. It says that other nations, excuse me, verse 2, it says, Go to Calne and look at it, and then go from there to go to great Hamath, and then go down to Goth and Philistia. Are they better off than your two kingdoms? Basically, Amos was using them as an example because they already fell prey to the Assyrian army. They were already held, held captive by them said, hey, look at those guys. They had the same complacency. They had the same pride as you. But yet they fail. Are your two kingdoms better than them? So the second thing they found their complacency in, their comfort, is their wealth. The economy was good. Um, they became less dependent upon God. They were still kind of benefiting from the glory of, of King Solomon. And, and, and they had 401Ks. Not literally, but they had 401Ks. They, they never had to go without. The Bible says they were feeding on fatted calves and choice um, lambs, and, and, and so everything was good. Life was good. They found complacency in that. They weren't dependent upon God. I, I think that it is easier for us as American Christians to become more complacency because we literally don't have to pray for the, the, the daily needs that we need to survive. Would y'all agree with me on that? Um, and, and so it, it's easy for us in our economy, even though the economy is so-called bad right now and everything, we're still a lot better off than other places. But even when our daily needs are meeting, when I leave here from church Sunday, me and my two kids are not going to have to worry about what we're going to have to eat. And so it's easy for us to become complacent. And the, Israel found themselves in that same complacency. They've put their dependence upon their wealth. They put their dependence upon their geography. And the third thing is that they put their dependency on their religious activity. Although Israel was kosher with the sin going on around, they were still going to church on the Sabbath. They were still carrying out the sacrifices, and they even took pride in it. It's kind of like we're living like the rest of the world, but doing their religious activity on their Sabbath. And so if nothing has changed other than, than their actions, but other than just them tolerating the sin around them, they become so complacent that they become, become complacent with the, all the happenings around them. It was kind of the same mentality that Jesus dealt with in Matthew 23 when he says, Woe to you Pharisees, woe to you teachers, woe to you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of God in other people's faces. Now, that's not really a nice thing to say to a pulpit committee, Right? That was funny. You can laugh. You'll get it at lunch, maybe. But people, they they were out for their own agenda. And and they were doing their religious activity. Nothing has changed as far as their their sacrificing and everything else, but set their mentality of of being dependent upon God. They had a mediocre faith. It wasn't a faith that was pursuing God. So if spiritual complacency is sin... The spiritual complacency stifles. It's point number two. Spiritual complacency stifles. Let me explain that. God's initial blessing to Israel was not for themselves, it was for the blessed other nations. God chose them out and, and gave them a, a specific task, and He gave them a blessing, and their responsibility for that was to point people, the other nations, to Yahweh and 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 same same way with us God has blessed us and and I would pro- pro- people would probably argue with me on this but I really think that United States in the grand scheme of things as God sees the big picture and we don't but in the grand scheme of things the United States has been nothing more than a vehicle to carry out the gospel to other nations we've been blessed beyond means and everything so We've used our blessings to, we've sent out missionaries and everything to other nations. And here's what I think also. I think that when we've taken um, that blessing and use it for our own selves, that's when the blessing of God is going to start retreating, I think. A good example of that is Europe. You go to a church in Europe today, and and guys, Europe, if you study church history in Europe, Europe was thriving. There was ministry that was happening beyond means. If you study George Mueller and and some of those those people through the Great Awakening and and, and everything that was happening, ministry was happening. People were getting saved. There was a lot of exciting things going on. But if you go to a um, a church building today, more than likely it's going to be a tourist attraction instead of a place where a body of believers meet. They use their blessing to live for themselves. God did not give us grace and mercy to live for ourselves, but to become more like his son so that we can carry out his will and his purpose. God has an awesome plan and purpose for our lives, but we cannot carry that out if we are complacent and then we're stifled. Sin always stifles the work of God because sin suppresses the Holy Spirit. We heard a great message this morning about the role of the Holy Spirit from Dr. Andy. And, and sin, what sin does is takes place of the, of, of the Holy Spirit. And then Paul puts it this way in Galatians 5, 16 through 17. It says, so, so I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other. So that you do not do what you want. There will always be a battle between the sinful nature and and the Holy Spirit. But here's the the deal, though. Is is that when sin is winning more in our lives of the Holy Spirit, then we become stifled. And and it's a ripple effect. Because if we're stifled as individuals, and then you're supposed to be a, a part of the body, the church, then you cripple the church when you are stifled. And then if if enough people become stifled, then, then the church becomes stifled. Does that make sense? They're not carrying out the work that God, the plan, the purpose that he has called them out to do. If we become stifled in our complacency, it seems that we would rather coddle sin than to see God to do a supernatural work in our lives individually, and in our church, and in our community. There's a church that I'm pretty familiar with. It was a country church, small little building, and it was it, at one time it was a happening place, had a good ministry going on, a good fellowship. Um, they started filling up with their, in, as their building, started reaching full capacity, so they carry out a vision to build a new worship center. And this worship center was really a big deal for this country church. They built an elaborate worship center. It was probably just a little bit smaller than this. Um, for, for country church, it was really a huge deal. And so when they got it built, it was really nice. They had, they had room for the congregation that was meeting already, but they also had plenty of room to grow. And that was the initial, um, the initial what, the, what they initially wanted to do by building this building. And here's what happened. I think the building kind of generated some excitement in the community. People started coming, and there was actually people getting saved. There was people getting baptized. There were people joining the church and, and, and whatnot. And it was really, really exciting. But it didn't take too long before you heard some of the older congregate, congregants going, who stole my church? They started, they started saying things like this, like, it just doesn't feel like it used to. Why why should we take their suggestion? We were here first. I mean, literally, I heard these things. And I couldn't believe my ears. I couldn't believe that they were saying these things. And you know why they were saying these things? Because they lost their comfort zone. They lost their spiritual lazy chair. The whole idea, the the blessing of of the worship center was to grow. But yet, they become complacent and their sin. And, and not long after that, visitors didn't feel welcome anymore. People started leaving. The back door was just as big as the front door. And guess what? That ministry today is stifled. It's stifled. Because they desired complacency more than they desired the work of God in their church. So complacency stifles. The third thing, spiritual complacency is stagnant. As if they were just going through the motions. How many of y'all? I mean, you don't don't raise your hands on this because uh, we'll get some serious trouble. But how many of you feel like you're just going through the motions in your marriage? You know, you guys, you can count on one hand the last time you've seen your wife with rollers with not in her hair in um, in the last month. Maybe in a bathrobe on. And, and then, ladies, you, you, you just look at your honey, honey bun and, and wonder how that six-pack got so much padding on it. And that, that sweet deal becomes an ordeal. There's a counselor here if you need it. But if you become stagnant in your marriage, it's not exciting anymore. What about your occupation? You know, when, you, when you're stagnant and you're complacent in your op- occupation and, and, and it becomes stale, is that, that you, you wake up in the morning and you're like, woo, I'm ready to go to work. No, you dread to hear that alarm clock every morning, right? And they were just going through the motions. Let, let, let's ante up it. What about your religious activity? Is it just going through the motions? What you do here on Sunday morning—is that just going through the motions? Is that something, or is it an active pursuit of Jesus Christ? Is it more traditional or duty for you? And even Amos dealt with that in chapter five, and I want us to look at that. It's in, 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 in Amos five, and this is a powerful passage. So, so do uh, Hang with me here. It says. I hate, I despise your religious feast. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I have no regard for them. Always, away, excuse me, away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. Holy Snikes what if God said that to us this morning y'all saying pretty but I will not accept it Joe knocked that song out the park a while ago we could have had an invitation went home but what if God said Joe even though you knocked it out the park I will not accept it so basically they were just going through the motions it was stagnant it was stale and then he goes on to say he says let the justice roll on like a river righteousness like a never failing stream i grew up on the mississippi louisiana state line just north of baton rouge north of clinton louisiana but i lived on the mississippi side so i claimed redneck and uh and so uh my grandfather had 300 acre farm and we lived on the place, and, and my grandfather had a pond, but he also on his place, but he also had a creek that was really large. So it was like large, like a river. So, but it was called a creek. But he had a pond and a creek, and I, my brothers and my cousin and I found ourselves fishing and swimming and hanging out more on the creek than we did the pond. And this is why, because the creek it was always exciting. It was fresh water coming in. It was it was. We like to eat the fish better out the creek. Even though the my grandfather's pond had bigger catfish that were they were easy to catch, we would still would like to go catch fish out of the creek because they taste better. You go to the pond, it, it's kind of got this green algae thing going on around the edges and, and mosquito larvae everywhere and everything else. And it was just nasty. If you got in a boat you would go you would get dizzy because you just go round and round and round. But if you got to throw your boat into the, the creek, you, we could fish for hours and see something new the whole time. And that's, and that's why I think God is saying, hey, let righteousness, let, 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 let justice roll like a river. You know, a river is, 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 always has an inlet and it always has an outlet. And, and it's as if God is pouring into us and so that we can pour out to other people. And that's the way it's supposed to be when our faith it's not mediocre, it, mediocre, but it is vibrant, and we're in active pursuit of Jesus Christ. It's kind of the same thing that, that Jesus dealt with in Revelation 3 when he addressed the church at Laodicea. What did he tell them? He said, your faith is, is what? Lukewarm. Why did he use the, the lukewarm water illustration? Because he knew that lukewarm water would become stagnant, become stale. And his warning was, hey, you think you're, you don't have any need, but yet you're poor. I mean, you think you're rich, but you're poor. You think you've got it going on, but really you don't. And if you do not repent, I'm going to remove your lampstand away from you. I'm going to leave your witness to the other people. The blessings are for others. And we got to be continuing to pursuing Christ and so that we're able to follow his will and so that we can carry out what he has given us. So how do we respond to this passage? This is a tough passage. I've been convicted these past two weeks studying it. How do we respond to this passage? Well, the sin complacency brings about judgment. Let's look at verse 7. It says, therefore, You will be among the first to go into exile. Your feasting and your lounging will soon end. And we know that not far later on that Israel was taken captive by the Babylonians. And so that judgment came in fruition. I'm not a betting man. You know, when I was in high school, they would always try to get me to bet at the golf course. That's one thing I would not bet on. Um, And you can ask some of the ones I played on the golf tournament with we had recently. But if I was a betting man, I would put all my chips in on the fact that God brings judgment on sin. Because if you read this, there's never a time that when God rebuked a a people group and they did not respond in the right way where he did not come through on the judgment. And so God brings judgment on, on spiritual complacency. And the nation of Israel, we soon know that they were chastised and in and, and the same way that he, can, he will chastise us if we do not heed to this warning because he loves us. He wants to do a work in us. And if my little girl runs out into the street and I tell her not to do it and she does, she does it again, you know what I do? I get Mr. Sad out. I, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Because I don't want her to get run over. Hebrews 12 says that he chastises those he loves. Guys, if if we're being spiritually chastised, I would would consider it a blessing because we know that we're children of God. That's just a little side note, another sermon for another day. But judgment is coming if we do not heed to a message. I think it's a a time that we can self-evaluate because I don't know your heart. I don't know where you stand with Christ. But you know You may say, Justin, you know, maybe I've not been growing in my faith like I, I should. My faith is stagnant, it's stale. And I'm just going through the motions. I come to church every Sunday, I sing the songs, I pay my tithe, I go to Sunday school, but it just feels like I'm going through the motions. So the first initial response to to a passage like this, it could be repentance. It could be us saying, hey, God, we're just not where we should be. And the reality of it is, is that as believers, we should always be in a constant state of renewal. It's like the river. We should be experiencing something new all the time. And the second response could be is obedience, to obey the Word of God. We need a faith that moves us, that motivates us. We need a faith that that, that says, hey, we're not going to camp out here, but yet we're going to move forward. And if you need to self-evaluate this morning, I would just ask you to consider the cross. Consider the cross, and this is why. is because if you consider the cross, you will know why or what it took for Christ to redeem us to himself, for us to be able to have faith and, and to have a relationship with God. And I'm going to close with this passage. It's Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. This is Paul's words to the Philippian church. It says, Your, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He gave up deity to die for us. If that's so, do you think he wants us to settle for a comfortable, complacent, stifled, mediocre faith? I don't think so. Would you pray with me? As we come to the point in this service, I just want to ask you to do business with God. Like I said earlier, I don't know where you stand. You know, and God knows. So I would ask you, if you you, we'll have some ministers down here in front. If you need to come down here this morning, that'd be great. If you need to pray, maybe if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I would ask you to do that today. It would be the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. salvation was so important to God that he sent his son to die on the cross for our sin that we may be reconciled to him. It was a worthy cause. We just have to have faith in what he did on the cross. Heavenly Father, God, I just pray God, that we would heed to this message, God, this passage in Amos. Lord, I know that happened a long time ago, but God, we know that the Bible is relevant for us today. And God, the same principles applied to them is the same principles for us today. So God, I just pray that if we are complacent, God, that we would repent. God, if we're not, God, if our faith is vibrant and active and growing, God, I just pray that we would just look at it and say, God, I don't want to go there. But God, I know there's some times in our life where we just feel like we're just going through the motions. So God, I would ask that you would just convict us and God, that we would just draw closer to you. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing?